For most entrepreneurs, what's at stake in a business is not only their legacy, but their livelihood. Now, more than ever, small businesses need support. Pinesall and Essence are on a mission to celebrate and support the enduring legacy of Black women in business and champion women entrepreneurs. We're hosting the first ever Build Your Legacy contest to award a $100,000 grant to one Black female entrepreneur in support of her business. And now we need your help to find a winner. Check out the video interviews from the phenomenal semifinalists and cast your vote today. Voting ends on July 1st. Head to www.essence.com slash your legacy. Because I really do believe that the purpose of life is to live a life of service. So I'm on the service track and I have a service plan. This is how we serve. But I also have a business track and a business plan. This is how we earn. Tiffany, the Bajanista Aliche, has gained international acclaim for her tried and true approach to financial education and financial health. And if you know anything about this woman's story, it's that she's hit some devastating financial blows that ultimately impacted the trajectory of her whole life. Her story, one where she was, at one point she was jobless and dealing with more than $30,000 in debt is particularly important now, as so many of us are dealing with a financial crisis. While we didn't get into the entire scope of her story, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Tiffany, Google her and check out our show notes to learn more. I wanted this episode to focus a little more on her journey in business and the lessons that she's learned along the way. Tiffany is unafraid to be real about the money struggles that she's overcome, and that's what I love about her. So. For those of you who are tired of experts, in air quotes, telling you the bare minimum of how to manage your financial lives, be prepared to take some notes. Keep on listening for a real dose of money medicine from The Bajanista. After my conversation with Tiffany, stick around for a bonus conversation with venture capitalist and entrepreneur Rochelle Parham. Hey everyone, I'm here with the amazing Tiffany Aliche, aka the Bajanista. Um, I before I start talking to this woman, I gotta let y'all know that um, I've been at Essence for a few years, and I I followed Tiffany way before that, and it, she's someone that our readers and myself we adore. We um, I think. We so admire just your platform and your foundation, and I'm just really excited to talk to you finally. That's Thank my you. Deal. <laughs> uh, I feel, like I said, I feel as, as good as can be expected. Um, yeah. But definitely, um, I feel more on the hopeful side than I did before. Okay. You know, me, me too. Um, although I did have to take a little break from social media for a mm-hmm. minute, which is hard as a journalist. <laughs> you can't really do that, but... I think doing that, I did start to feel the same this week. So, um, but we're going to get into some of those more topical things that are going on in a little bit. So to start, I love asking everyone that comes on the show, tell me about your very first, first job, that first paycheck that you got, you know, with a signee. (laughs) 
So my very, very first job, I remember I was like 14, I think it was 14 or 15. I went to go get my working papers from the high school. Mm-hmm. And it was really like a summer program um, where first you, it was at the um, Westfield Community Center where first they kind of like trained you and then they kind of farmed you out. And so they sent me to the Westfield Library. And I remember the Westfield Library is a good 20, 30 minute walk from my house. So I would walk <laughs> in during the summer. And, and I love to read. So it was, a, it was a perfect place for me. But I do remember that I tricked up all my money at the candy store. Uh-oh. <laughs> I had this, my dad was an accountant and a CFO. So I remember when I, the first paycheck I got, I spent it. Cause I'm like, I mean, that's yeah, what I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sat me down um, at the end of the month and asked me, you know, where my money was. And I was like, what do you mean? It's gone. <laughs> and he asked me to bring all the receipts, which I couldn't find most of them. Of course. Yes. And then, but it was when I started to first realize like, okay, all the money that you make is not meant to be spent. So then every two weeks when I got paid, he would sit me down and walk me through, um, you know, what me, I would have to explain to him what I was going to do with that money, how much I was going to save, how much I was going to spend and on what. And so, yeah, my first job was at the Westfield Community Center um, and the, the Westfield Library. So can you talk a little bit um, about your dad, your, well, actually your parents and mm-hmm. your relationship with money growing up? I know from what I understand, uh, your parents, they didn't shy around money talk when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of talk about some of the, I guess, some of the strategies that they use besides the one you just mentioned and um, just maybe some of the other lessons you learned as a kid? No, absolutely. My parents were really great about teaching us um, my sisters and I, I'm one of five sis, five girls, um, about personal finance. So my dad was a little bit more academic. So he would literally sit us down and say, here's my calculator. We're going to add up the family's finances. So I would yeah. add them up and here's what me and mommy make. We're going to subtract, you know, what our expenses are from what me and mommy make. And I'm like, okay, I actually have to calculate the cost of my, of a bike that I wanted when I was nine wow. by doing that. And so it made me realize like, wait, y'all pay something called a mortgage? You don't buy a house the way you buy a shirt one time? You know, so these were things like, so that was the thing that my dad was really good at, like sit down here at the dinner table and I'm going to show you, sit down, show me your paycheck, sit down. We're going to walk to the bank and deposit your money. Sit down. I'm going to show you how to, how to um, balance your checkbook. And my mom, because she was in charge of a household of seven people, five girls and her husband, that she was more so, um, it was less academic and more real life examples. Like, okay, we're going clothes shopping and watching her navigate. So here's how much money I can set aside for each one of you kids. And so here's what you need, at least a pair of pants, some shirts, and yeah. you know, so watching her navigate and even watching her, her negotiate. And so like, actually, I can remember in particular, cause my mom, my grandmother was a seamstress and I remember my mom was really good at sewing. So sometimes she would find something with a rip and bring it to the front and say, Hey, this has a rip. I would like 25. Yeah. Haggle. Right? Yeah, I remember being like, you can haggle here. Right. And so she would get it and be her knowing how to sew would fix those things for us. Yeah. So just watching her navigate, you know, in real time, in real life, finding the sales, finding the discounts, learning to buy in bulk, learning, you know, what things that you can get. I remember she would literally say, you know, it's OK to get the cheap version of this, but not the cheap version of this. Okay. You know, because okay. you're going to need like your appliances should be really great appliances. Yeah. But you don't have to spend as much money maybe on your dishes. My parents, like I said, were really good at making personal finance real and um, implementable as it, at the age that I was. Yeah, that's also really helpful 
I think for anyone who's a parent and I, I hear questions like this all the time, like, what can I do, you know, to teach my kids better? Like just knowing that they were able to take that academic side, but also mm -hmm. that very real side and put the two together. And then, you know, clearly it worked. <laughs> so let's kind of talk about your story. It's, it should be a movie. <laughs> to be honest, it really should. Uh, and like I said, I think a lot of our listeners might be kind of familiar with it already. And I don't want to, I don't want to make you retell it for the millionth time, but to kind of, um, I want to get into how you became the budgetista. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, correct me if I got my facts wrong. Um, during that time, your late twenties, you were, I guess, I guess you were kind of swindled out of what, 30 grand? Mm -hmm. About... Yeah, yeah, thirty-five. Well, it ended. It ended up leaving me about thirty-five thousand dollars in debt. Okay. From what I've learned, you didn't want to accept a lot of responsibility for mm -hmm. that in the beginning. Um, can we kind of talk about, I guess, some of your emotion? What some of those emotions that you had to work through? I think our emotions and play such a big role in how we spend money, how we think about money. And it sounds like that was a really pivotal moment for you. So can you kind of dig into, I guess, some of the emotional toil that after that experience that you went through? No, absolutely. So what happened was a air quotes friend of mine who I thought was wealthy, you know, in your twenties, cause I was in my mid twenties when I met him. And when you're in your twenties, you think the thing is because that's what it looks like. Um, so he had like a Lambo, he had like a penthouse in New York. I mean, Lord mm -hmm. don't know where he stole these things from. Exactly. Um, but at the time I was like, Oh, he has wealth. So yeah. he must know how to earn and grow wealth. And I was a preschool teacher at the time and I had saved up um, some money and he was like, you know, I told him I want to learn how to invest. And he said, well, we're going to take money. Do you have a credit card? And I did. He was like, how many do you have? I only had one. He said, open up two more. We're going to pull money off the credit cards. This is called the cash advance. And it is the devil. Yeah. I didn't know that then. Because yeah. cash advance, the interest rate to, on cash advances are notoriously high. So we pulled the money off and then I invested it with him. Lord only knows what he did with the money. What he was supposed to do was he supposedly had stores. He was he was originally from um, um, uh, France. He supposedly had stores in France. We were went to New York to buy um, some goods that could be sold in France and his stores. And then I was supposed to get $2,000 a week. For two years. I don't even know why I thought that that was feasible. Yeah. I was in my 20s, right? right. And um, yes. so yeah. we pulled that money off. And I think I would say I pulled off $20,000. But here's the mistake that I made because I was so sure in my ignorance that I was like, I never had credit cards before. And I was like, well, now I got some. So I ran up another 15000 on my mm -hmm. credit cards while I was waiting for my big money to roll in. Yeah. And I ended up on what I thought was going to be more education, but it ended up being a scam. I bought this $15,000 like coaching program for one of my favorite online you know, coaches. And so it was a scam. So now 20000 for this investment and the 15000 from this other scam. So I was just scammed all around, left me 30 thousand dollars in credit card debt when previously I had no debt, no debt including yeah. credit card debt. So at first I refused to take responsibility because it was his fault. That's what I told myself. <laughs> it was, you know, let's call him Jake. It was Jake the thief's fault. Yes. Jake stole from me. Jake is a liar. Jake, Jake, is, a liar. Jake is a scammer. Jake. Right? I'm gonna send them boys after Jake. Yeah. <laughs> right? And um but then after a while I realized that Tiffany, you played a role in this. 
One, you have a whole CFO father that you did not run this idea past because you wanted to be grown. We want yeah. grown folks things, and now you got grown folks responsibilities, right? Yeah. And um, and so I was like, you didn't ask for help, you didn't reach out, and honestly, the truth is, you because I wanted to take that money to retire my parents. I was like, you, you, it didn't make sense. Two thousand dollars a week for for two years, you yeah. allowed your desire to make that money blind you for something that does not make sense. Which is common, which is common. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I've been stopped beating myself and I'm grateful for yeah. that. Yeah. But it was like, one, once I took responsibility, but responsibility doesn't mean that you beat yourself up. I had to take responsibility, meaning that like I can take control and mm-hmm. I can now do something about it. Not responsibility in a way that Tiffany, you are bad because you made this financial choice. No, Tiffany, you are human. Yeah. And so once I took responsibility, I was able to put one foot in front of the other to start to solve the problem ahead of me. And um, and as I was solving the problem, because one of the things I do is I am a teacher. Yes. Well, but Denise, I was a preschool teacher and now I'm a teacher of financial education, but I'm a teacher either way. Yeah. And so one of and when you teach, you learn twice. That's the magic of teaching. So yeah. as I was fixing my finances, I was showing my sister. Then I was fixing my finances, I was showing my girlfriend. Then I was fixing my finances and I was showing my coworker. And so the more I fixed myself and the more I showed someone else, it just reconfirmed that knowledge in me and the budget needs to was born out of that. And it sounds like in doing that, you probably got a level of confidence just, you know, it, because you slowly be, like came to be an expert, you know? Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about the budgetista. Mm-hmm. Um, what have been some of the, I guess, some of the most challenging aspects of that transition? Because you now, you're a teacher, mm-hmm. you're a finance expert, you know, America's favorite expert, mind you, that <laughs> that little fact. But in this process, you've also had to become, a, you know, an entrepreneur. Yeah. So can you kind of do, just dig into what some of the most challenging aspects of that journey have been for you? Absolutely. So first, the first most challenging aspect of becoming an entrepreneur and then later on a CEO um, was learning how to monetize the business. Mm-hmm. Right. So especially women, you know, yeah. we're really good at doing the thing. Oh, yeah. I'm a teacher. How you get paid, sis? Oh, yeah. I serve. How you going that money, sis? Yeah. yeah. And that was so difficult for me. I would say the first three years I made next to nothing because I didn't know how to monetize the things that I was doing. Yeah. And so that 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 um, was really hard because I also felt guilty, quite honestly, about monetizing the things that I was doing. Because I'm like, well, if I'm, if I'm being of service, I has to be paid for that. And I realized that the more I made, the more I was able to do. And so as I monetized just one little thing, I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then I remember when I put out my first book and I was like, I kept apologizing. Like, you don't have to buy it. Most of it is free online anyway. And literally a, a, young, a, a young black woman hit me up. I was like, Tiffany, if you don't shut up, girl. Exactly. If you don't let us. Yeah. Like, girl, we know. I get it. I understand. Because I do feel like there have definitely been times where I've been giving things away for free and yeah. just it's guilt and I'm helping friends. I'm doing this or whatever. Yeah. And I definitely had a friend say like, girl, if you don't stop, like, yes. stop apologizing. Well, you know, the, the people will pay. So we are still give away. I would say 80% yeah. of what I do with the budget needs to for free. But I've learned to really monetize. And what I learned is that there are two tracks that I'm on. 
because I really do believe that the purpose of life is to live a life of service. So I'm on the service track and I have a service plan. This is how we serve. But I also have a business track and a business plan. This is how we earn. So these are two separate things that join together. You can't just have a service plan. You can just have a business plan if you don't care about service, but you cannot just have a service plan. So once I recognized that I was cooking with grease. And I would say the second hardest lesson that I had to learn once I learned how to make a little money, I had to learn how to lead because I, you know, as the budget, if I was just solo dolo by myself, you can grow, but you will be stunted in your growth. And I knew I wanted to grow to the next level. And the only way to grow to the next level is to have help. And the way to maximize the help is that you have to learn how to become a good leader. And I was not in the beginning. I was super passive. People were running all over me. I had um, someone who worked for me who became a bully of me. So she first she was a fan and then wow. she came on board and she was amazing, smart, sharp. She helped me. She showed me how to get organized, all these things. And then she started to bully me to the point where I was afraid to come to my own business and show up. Wow. Right? Oh, no, she got it. She'll talk to everyone. She'll, you know, and, and to the point she had bullied me into a wall, making these outlandish demands for pieces of the business and all these other things. And finally, I had to be like, Tiffany, this is your business. She convinced herself and almost convinced me that she was the budget nista. Can I yeah. ask, Go ahead. How, how deep into your business, what did this happen? Like how early on? So it was uh, for the first uh, three or maybe like maybe even five years, I would say four to five years, the budget needs it was just me, you yeah. know, like maybe an intern here and there, but just me. And then year five, I brought in the help, okay. you know, I brought her in um, to help. And I was like, wow, we started, I started, we started to really grow. So yeah. I had already, so that's what was so crazy. I forgot like, girl, you've been the budget Nista. You did that. You know? And yeah. I remember, I literally remember sitting down with her when I was firing her. Um, and I told her, you know what? I realized that you bring a lot to the table. You're absolutely right. But girl, I am the table. And I forgot that for a moment. You're no longer. And so she, once she left, I mean, I remember we didn't, I didn't know how to do anything because I had to do everything. I was like, I mean, I knew how to be the budgetista. I knew how to teach, but I didn't know how to lead. I didn't know how to send out email. I didn't know how to do none of the systems. And I remember being terrified because I still had a team because we had a, we had like a team maybe of like. Five, five or six people then, but I didn't even know how to like manage them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had to practice leadership. And so now here we are like five years later. Um, and it was so crazy because once she left within the first three months, business doubled. Wow. Because I realized that my presence is what made the business do well. And when I removed myself, although we were more organized, we were not really growing. Yeah. You know, because it was her. She was exactly her. Yeah. And this is your business. Exactly. So when I re-entered into my business, um, business um, doubled within the first three months. And now, I mean, back then, you know, we used to literally make in a a year, we make in a day. And now we are one of the businesses, the the business I came on, um, I had her help me me with my online school, the Literature Academy. We now make seven figures a month. We are eight figure a year business. You know, five years later. Yeah. But I am present. I am CEO. I am leader. I am I am cheerleader. I had to really learn leadership. And in doing so, it created this amazing environment where my team and I excel every day. Yeah. So for people out there, I think that's a huge uh, issue that I don't hear enough about because mm-hmm. I, I think we've all been at jobs where, you know, maybe you love your boss, but they're not a good leader. Or maybe you've been in a position where you know your job, but you're not really leading. Mm-hmm. You're not leading your team. You're not, you know, 
So what advice do you have on just great leadership? What is, you know, what have you learned through that? So one, you have to you have to figure out for yourself. The more in alignment for your with yourself that you are, the 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 better. You have to ask yourself, how do you want to show up as a leader? And so I knew for me, I want to show up as a leader the way I want to show up in life. I want to be someone known, someone who leads with kindness. Mm-hmm. I want someone to be someone who is someone of integrity. Like this is what I want to be said and known about me. Tiffany leads with kindness. She yeah. shows up with integrity. She is transparent and she is fair. So those, those I had to define for myself what did I want what did what did I want my legacy to be yeah. and so once I realized that I started to align all of my leadership decisions with that and I asked myself even an email even if I'm slacking somebody is this kind is this transparent right is this fair is this understanding so I'm always asking myself that and what I realized is some of the leadership qualities that I learned most of them I actually learned when I taught preschool when I was a preschool teacher for 10 years right and so when you are a preschool teacher even if you're a teacher and there's a teacher's aide it's a democracy them kids don't care Miss the teacher's aide I said I spilled my juice. One of y'all need to clean this what up you gonna do about it right? so you learn there that like and also too when you're a teacher you learn I'm really good at differentiated learning, which means that each kid needs to be approached differently. So you have 15 kids and I'm like, I know that Jaheem really loves the block area. So I'm going to teach him reading here and, and Kara really loves art. So I'll teach her reading that way. So I make, I do that same approach with the people on my team. So I know that Karen, she is hyper organized. So when I'm speaking to her and I'm leaning into her, I'm very conscious of this is how that's her love language in business. Yeah. But I'm also conscious that Logan is like is a little softer and sweeter. So I'm really listening for like, you know, what is like, how is Logan feeling? Yeah. And I know that Tamara is super autonomous. She don't need nobody telling her what to do, when to do, how to do it. So with Tamara, I'm more so here to be like, what tools do you need, girl? You need. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to set the tone for how things go, I'm the opposite. A good teacher knows that I'm not here to set the tone. I'm here to provide the support for how you want it to go. Yes. Right? So creating an environment and atmosphere where people feel respected, where they are allowed to make mistakes. I I cannot express that enough. You have to create a safe environment for people to mess up. Yeah. So my team knows. I remember once, yeah, at least she, she now works with us, but she was a, our young intern and she had sent out an email that had like the wrong date and time, something. And I called her and she was crying. She's like, I went home from work. She had a full time job. I just, it's just too much. And I was like, oh my God, girl, who did you kill? They told me, who, who did you kill? She's like, what? Who's I was like, girl, did you kill anybody? And so that's become our mantra that, but did you die? So <laughs> nobody with whatever decision that you make, even if we lose money, yeah, if we, you know, if, if we have to resend something out again, I'm okay with that as long as um, it was in pursuit of excellence. And two, you have to set the expectation for your team by, by your actions, not just your words, Amen. right? As a leader. So I have an expectation of excellence that I learned from growing up in an African household. My parents are both Nigerian and so there was always this expectation of excellence. So the team knows that, That's that right. I have this expectation of excellence and nothing else. So what it doesn't mean perfection. It means that you are going to give me your personal best. Yeah. Your personal best might be a C. And as long as I know that you're giving me your personal best, I'm okay I'm with okay that. Yeah. No, I'm okay with that. But I have, ex- don't give me, so here's the thing. When you deliver excellence, I know what it looks like in someone. Yeah. The teacher in me knows when you're not doing your homework. It's just when you know when you didn't study. You have it in you. Don't give me this. 
bring me your best, bring me your excellence. And so Ebony is my new um, assistant. She's in her 20s. And so we had a good hour long talk today where I was like, you know, this is my expectation of you. And I'm okay with you making mistakes because quite honestly, getting it perfect doesn't teach you anything. But what I do want is that you're giving me your best always. You're asking yourself, can I do better at this? It's not just for me. You have to set the stage for yourself. And so to me, leaders inspire, Mm -hmm. leaders educate, but leaders, especially more than anything else, leaders serve. I am not here to tell you what to do on my team. I am here to move obstacles out of your way so you can you can effectively work in the genius zone that you're currently in. I love that. Now, I was going to say earlier too, I just, that's what I love about your approach. Your teacher, that's mm-hmm. calling, you know that, you step into that. Everything you do is, it's within that kind of framework. So you're always, that also means you're always listening and you're always kind of tapping into what people need and how they need to hear it. So I think that's incredibly important when, you know, when you position yourself as an expert, because mm-hmm. without getting into details, uh, I do get some people hitting me up as experts and they're not experts. Some people, I think you can be passionate about something, mm-hmm. and, but you're not, you know. It, the, the joke on our team is like that folks know, like Tamara, for example, she runs my online school, the Literature Academy. She'll ask me something and I'll say, girl, you know, I don't know. I be making stuff up. <laughs> and then we laugh because it's true. Tamara, I don't know any more than you know. You just a smart girl. I mean, I can put my two cents in. You put your two cents in. Let's see if it makes four cents. If it makes less than two cents, we try something else. Try it again. Yes. And so, like, so, and even with the team, like, so I call my team the unicorn squad because I tell them they make magic happen every day. If you want the level of team that I have, when I tell you these women are amazing, you have to love on your team. You know, you have to care. It's not just, did you do the work? I want to know about your baby. Is she okay? Is she sick? I heard her coughing. Girl, why do you want to call today? Yeah. You sound sick, girl. Um, somebody sent um, Ebony some soup. This week, I told everyone on the team, take three days off for some reprieve because it's been a heavy two weeks. Yeah, we are Black women, many of which are married to Black men or raising Black sons. We definitely have Black fathers. That's and so true. I'm like, we need a reprieve. So I told them, take yeah. three days. You know, it, that, there's no loss in pay. I just need you know, take those days to do nothing. I don't want to see you in Slack. Don't answer no emails. Go outside, make some sun, hug your babies. But like, you have to love on your team and show that you care beyond just what they bring to the table at quote unquote work. Like I, my team knows that like first, most important is family and and your health. First is family. Second is family. Third is family. Everything else is is, is secondary, you know, or or fourth. And um, to be, it's really important that the women on my team, we do have like a couple guys, literally three guys, right? But the women on my team, it's important that you know you can bring your whole self to work. You could bring your mom, auntie, wife, girlfriend, um, tired, cranky. You can bring your whole <laughs> self to work. I want to see it all. It doesn't, we happen. it doesn't happen enough in enough workplaces with enough leaders. So I yeah. think like that's major. That's huge. Um, can you talk a little bit about... When did your business become profitable? How long did it take for that to happen? And also, what what did that feel like when you first realized, like, okay, I'm doing it. I can do it. And I can I can grow. What did that feel like? So I am, the business I'm in is in unique in that I am a digital education business. So it was profitable day one. So yeah. So when I registered the Budgetista and I got my first first speaking gig, I think they paid me like $500. It cost me 
$40 to make that 500 because I went to the dollar store to get folders. I went to TV bank to steal their pens because they give them that boys away. And I asked my girlfriend who worked at a corporate office to make these copies for me. Girl, make these copies for me. But because I ain't got no money to help. So it was $40 out of pocket to make 500 So as soon as I got my first gig, it was profitable because of the nature of my business. Um, so I will say that like, but even like when I started my the online school, so I've got a number of businesses. So I've got the Budgetista. That's the original business started in uh, 2008, 2009. Um, and that is like my speaking, that's books. That is the business of Tiffany, the personality business, right? Yeah. It is the foundation of all the rest of the other businesses. So my, my biggest business is my online school, the Literature Academy. This is amazing. Thank you. We got about 40,000 students. And that business, so the Budgetista makes just under seven figures. The Literature Academy is the one that makes seven figures a month, right? And so, but the Budgetista is the reason why people know about the Literature Academy. So it feeds, yeah. you know, into the Literature Academy. And that business, that took about a year to be profitable because we had to build before we launched. Yep. Okay. You know, so we had to build the online structure. We had to get the instruction. We had to get design, all those things. And that took about a year, six months to a year to, of building that behind the scenes. And I think I probably spent maybe like thirty dollars or $40,000 to do so. And now remember, that was after the Budgetista had been in business for like six years. So yeah. the Budgetista was the bank. The Budgetista let that $30,000, dollars to Literature Academy. The Literature Academy launched after about a year of, of work and planning and made $70,000 that month. Gave the budgetista back it thirty thousand dollars, and then it was in business. I'm just sitting here, just shining for you. Because I'm just like, yes, every. So it sounds like you you're very intentional mm-hmm. with what you're doing, and I think like things just don't happen. And I think um, oftentimes people kind of, I think a lot of times we don't fully understand just how intentional you have to be to have a successful business. It's not just a matter of, you know, making, now I'm going to sound a little negative. It's not just making your dreams come true, but it literally, Mm -hmm. it's setting these, you know, incremental goals and doing these things. And it's not just making money, right? So just make money online. And and there's nothing wrong with that. Girl, get your money. money. You have to have um, you have to have intention in that. Like, for example, I could just make money. A brand hit me up the other day and they're like, hey, we've got these sheets and we want you to share with your audience. We'll pay you whatever it is. Let's just say $5,000. Yeah. Right? I said no, because I was like, these sheets are like $300 for a twin. I'm the budgetista and not in alignment. Sorry. Not alignment. Right? But I can make that say it's $5,000, but that's not a business. Now, I'm not saying don't get your money. You should if, that, if that's an alignment, but that's not a business. With a business, you want to, one, you want to start to grow a, a team. You want to have, especially a financial plan in place of like, what does income look like? What do expenses look like? What are responsibilities? Everybody on my team has a has a um, scope of work and SOP. You know, we have a finance team. I've got a financial planner for the business. We have an insurance person. We have a, a, a CFO, a bookkeeper and payroll and a big accountant that does all of our our. Um, or quarterly taxes. That's just the finance team. Finance. You know? yes. In the beginning, the finance team was me, myself. <laughs> you made it work. <laughs> and so having a business is really about intentionally growing from one goal to the next and doing so with the support of other folks. And so it's so important to me that I don't want to just look at like a business. Yeah. I want to be a business. 
Because um, I want to be here 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. I want to be here when there is no Instagram, when there is no Facebook. When, do you, like, I am already thinking about that. We've already have a plan in place for, we ain't going to be on Facebook forever. Right. I forever. So like, we're very conscious of that. I am consciously navigating like, well, what happens? Things are becoming more and more digital. Okay, we're working on that app. There's so many things yeah. that we're working on behind the scenes. People will tell me, well, what happens? Because a lot of people will copy what we do. And I'm like, well, it's already old. That's been done. Like, I'm literally working on stuff now that you won't see for five years. So by the time that you copy out after something, I already have five years worth of work in. So you got some catching up to do, you know? So I don't mind. You Where know, do you think the budgetista in five years? So in five years, well, here's the thing. I was fighting against it, but it's going to happen. That um, a show is coming. Um, if I can't tell you, I mean, I'm I was also going to ask that, girl. Okay. There's a certain level of attention that I wasn't, I'm not all that interested in. Yeah. Um, and the truth is, I like, I truly am the budgetista. I live fairly simply. Like the house I live in now is paid off. My husband and I purchased it in cash. We renovated it in cash. We have our, our cars are purchased in cash. We have no debt despite having two homes, two cars. So, and I make more than enough. So the money doesn't move me. I'm beyond yeah. that. We paid off my parents' house. They're good. So I, I I was asking myself if I was going to have a show, why? And with all that's happening now, I realized there needs to be a descending voice out there in personal finance, and it needs to look like me. It needs to be so there. that is the reason why I spoke to my husband about it. He was like, girl, get your show. Um, because I've been asked over and over. And so finally, I'm like, so the budget needs to five years looks like a show with my face. Cause I, I was, I wrote a children's book called happy birthday, Molly Moore. And so for sure, one of the things I wanted to do is to create that into um, a show. I wanted her to have a show so people could see her with her 4C her and her super chocolate skin. Her beautiful um, hair, yes. Right? But it looked like me and her are going to have a show together. That's um, right. Okay. So I really, yeah, I see the budget Nista with the show. I see the budget Nista along, I see like, um, like almost like a like you when you're looking for financial advice, even if it's not from me directly, that I have other budgetistas out there doing that. Um, I also see an app where I can um, connect you with other financial educators that have been that you know whether it's credit or whatever that have been vetted by me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I see. I just see the budget nista having hands in in other um, spaces, uh, but because as a result of um, being elevated by by whatever show is coming out, I, I have my first, um, all the books I've written thus far have been um, self-published. And so I just got my first traditionally published um, book deal. And so that book comes out next year. And I think it's going to be explosive because it's really going to help set the foundation that we're all looking for, for our personal finances. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just... I never dreamed. I mean, if I were to die today, I'm like, well, shoot, I did 10 times more than I ever thought was possible. I thought I was going to be a preschool teacher forever, which I love. You're going to be here for a long time. And because we got to support this show, I'm so, I'm just so happy for you. And just, I just love seeing, I just love seeing this glow and this, you know, this continued, like every time I hear you're doing something, it's like, yes, yes, (laughs) thank you. Yes. And um, I do like I, it's inspiring. It, at, at the end of the day, it's just seeing your face and like having a black woman dominate this space is so, so important. I think just to know that we can do that. And, you know, the, like, it's important. Um, can we kind of like I got questions. I got mm-hmm. some questions because I definitely want to talk to you for four hours, but I'm going to 
Zoom, you ain't got the time for that. So, um, so can you kind of, we're, we're in a very crazy time. It's been crazy. It was crazy before, but it's definitely crazy now. The pandemic, you know, they just officially announced that we're definitely, you know, in a recession that that started in February. Black folks, we've been known that. Um, <laughs> so can you kind of get into two questions? How has this pandemic impacted you, if at all, and like from a financial perspective, your personal finances? Mm-hmm. And also, what's some advice um, do you have for people who are trying to budget right now and really, you know, really not lose control of their money, even though, you know, maybe they're out of a job or they're dealing with a lot right now? So um, how has it affected me personally? It's, um, there's a rhyme, there's a, there's a rap rhyme that Jay-Z says that like, that when uh, instead, it, it basically equates to when the weather's bad, you know, they, they can literally fly to change the forecast. I forget the exact line. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so that's how, because 10 years ago we had a recession, 2008, 2009. Yeah. And that, that took me totally by surprise. I lost my home. I lost all my things. And I told myself, we ain't never going back there again. And so I've been preparing since that day. So when this pandemic hit, I didn't have to stay where the bad weather was. Okay. That I was, I was now, I live now above those clouds. And so if anything, I'm actually done better. Wow. You know, so my business has done better because financial education came, became, became you know, a, a critical component of, of what we were needing. So folks were like really rushing to the budgetista. I've never had more press, but even so, even so, like I told my husband, we're sitting on a home here worth about $400,000. Why don't we pull money out of this house? Let's think about it and then use it to invest even further because our interest rates are, are super low right now. So we can yeah. borrow money for next to nothing. So that's what we're thinking about right now, wow. taking out maybe 250, maybe 280 out of the house. And 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 I, I looked the interest rate that I was a pre-approved for was 3.25%. Great. You right. know, like p- pennies on the dollar. So yeah. That just means, can I earn 3.25% out there in the market? Absolutely. So that means I can borrow it, make that money back, and honestly pay off this house in less than probably two, three years. So wow. be right back to being uh, debt-free. So it, it, it it's left me in, a, honestly, a stronger and better financial position because I've been preparing. And so what we can do, so, so just know that. So it's easy to say, well, that's easy for you, Tiffany, because you, when you school, my mama, I was preschool teacher Tiffany where they told them like us like hey ain't no more school school closed yeah and i was like what Whoa. so just 10 years ago i had nothing i bought a condo in my 20s lost that to foreclosure i had my 99 toyota camry that was on its last leg but it was gonna have to last another six years because that's how long i drove it wow. Shut down. i would literally speak at speaking engagements and like i would wait for everybody to leave because i know i have to get under the hood and like spark up so i say what we can do now is to prepare um is to prepare yeah. so things first, you have to set aside for retirement. It is the most important thing that you can do for yourself because God willing, we will all get old one day and it is your younger self's job to look after your older self. So you need to focus on figuring out how you can set aside something for retirement. And that involves creating a budget. You have to create some sort of budget. A budget is not the, it's not the end. It's a means to an end. The purpose of a budget is so you can set aside for retirement. The purpose of a budget is so you can set aside for savings. The purpose of a budget is so you can save enough to then also invest for wealth. A budget is the, is like the core for all the rest of your financial goals. So creating a budget 
set aside for retirement, saving your, what I call your noodle budget, which is saving. See, I got questions. I've I've heard you talk about this before. So for those Mm -hmm. out there who don't know, what's a noodle budget? So a noodle budget is at some point we all have to eat ramen noodles. That's yeah. that budget. That's the budget where you like, I'm only paying for essentials. That's so right. it might be rice and beans, it might be peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like that life. So yeah. if you had to cut off your cable, your nails, your hair, all that is that. your essential expenses. That's your noodle budget. And you should ideally have six months of your noodle budget saved and savings. Okay. So six months of your essential expenses. So if your life normally costs you, say, $4,000 a month, your noodle budget might be $3,000 a month. That's how much your basic life, bare bones, cost you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Have six months of that saved. Any savings above that is is a waste of money. You don't need right now, at least you don't need necessarily more than six months worth of of noodle budget saved. Um, And then what happens is, is that after that, that excess money should be going toward investing. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's a good, I mean, that's such a digestible, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to get your noodle on, girl. Yes, and I definitely, um, I think even since I started listening to you, mm-hmm. just little things like that, it, because you know how to simplify things and just say it straight, it just feels attainable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel overwhelming. I don't feel like I'm, you know, try, looking up terms and not, you know, not knowing yeah. this, not knowing that. And I think that's such, that's the key. That's the key to feeling successful, you know, in terms of managing your money. So, so can we get into credit scores? Yes. How does someone with a very low credit score, like how do they raise, how can they raise their points as quickly as possible, especially mm-hmm. during times like this? Um, it's a pandemic and mm-hmm. I guess, is speed really the goal? Is that even the right question? Well, here's the thing about your credit score. First, you have to understand and internalize that your credit score is literally like your GPA. So remember back in college or in high school, you were like, okay, my grade point average is dot, dot, dot. If someone were to say, well, how, Marquita, how do you raise, how do I go raise my grade point average quickly? It it depends, right? If you're a freshman, you just started, so you don't have as many grades to calculate in and to average in. So a few grades and you can raise your credit score very quickly, Yeah. right? But if you're already a senior, meaning you have all these grades to account for to be averaged in, then that means that the grades that you get now, you're going to little, need a whole lot more A's to yeah. go from B to an A. So it's all relative of what quickly means. But what you can do is, one, you can pay off a debt in full every month. So I call this like the jump like Jordan method, right? So I grew up in the Jordan era, right? Yeah. And so hey. what that looks like is, uh, <laughs> is to pay off a credit card in full every month. And so... So because there's something magical when you pay off a debt in full, whether it's $5, 5000 500000 500, When you pay off a debt in full, it's like magic fairy dust is sprinkled on your credit score. So you can, you can lean into that by paying off a credit card in full every month. I literally have a Jump Like Jordan credit card. That's what I just call it. It's just a credit card that I keep a zero balance on. And I have Netflix charging that card every month. And then I pay that card off every month from my online only uh, checking account that I set aside for bills. Wow. Right? And so I put that card at home and it gets charged by Netflix and paid off by the bills account. So there's a loop there. So if you do do that, that's one thing you can do. Another thing you can do is um, there's something called a credit builder loan. 
So there's companies like Self that do credit builder loans, but also um, um, uh, a lot of uh, credit unions do them. And mm-hmm. a credit builder loan, the way it works is that they loan you money. So you want to take out the least amount of money. Let's just say you're doing with Self. I think the least amount of money you can borrow is $500. So they loan you money. They're like, psych, Marquita, we're not going to give you $500. We're going to put it in a um, in a an account for you, but yeah. you're still going to pay that five hundred dollars back. It's about forty something bucks, maybe fifty bucks a month. You pay it back over the year, Got and it. at the end of the year, you've paid back money you didn't really get received. So you get back your five hundred plus a little interest. But it looks like to the credit bureaus that you not only did you borrow five hundred, but you also paid it back monthly and in full. Yeah. So by the time the year's up, it looks like, woohoo, your credit score typically will raise. But remember, it's part of an average. So what other grades have you gotten? People yeah. always tell me, well, if I do this, Tiffany, what's my credit score going to be? That's like asking me, well, if I get an A in, in science, what's my, my GPA going to be? Well, since <laughs> what you did last year in science. What else are you doing? Yeah. Right? Well, exactly. Because if you're getting everything else, ma, getting an A in art class is not going to be enough. <laughs> but you need a lot more A. So really, the key yeah. is to get as many A's on in your, like basically paying things off, paying things down, paying things in full, as much as you can do that. Those are A plus activities. The more A's you can get, the quicker you're going to get to a better credit score. As we kind of hinted at a little earlier, it's been a, a really devastating, hard couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the murders of George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's been a crazy time. And I think during this time, it's, we've been having more discussions about the importance of supporting our community, mm-hmm. specifically um, black owned businesses. And I think uh, not, there's not, um, I don't wanna say it's a positive thing, but I do think it has raised awareness, yeah. to, you know, like our power as a community. Mm-hmm. So I want to know more about your advice for how we can better support black owned businesses um, and also just how to build community wealth. That's a big, big question, but Mm -hmm. you know, if you can, if you can tackle that and you know, just a couple of minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the truth is you vote with your dollar, right? So when I was a kid, I went to a, I used to go to this little corner store by my middle school. All the kids did. Yeah. Um, and I remember they used to follow me, but not my white friends. And I remember going home and telling my mom, like, you know, when I go to that store, they follow me, but they don't follow my friends. And she said, then why do you go there? You vote with your dollar. Mm-hmm. You're telling them you're allowed to treat me this way because I continue to spend money here. So there's two things that America understands. It's violence and money. So one of the reasons why, you know, these Ooh. riots have gotten so much. I'm still letting that sink in because that's hard. <laughs> For real, right? right? When people say, like, oh, we shouldn't riot, we shouldn't, absolutely they should. Yeah. Because it, it, it's gotten you heard. Martin Luther King said that um, viol- riots were the language of the unheard. And so they're hearing us now. They're feeling us now. Um, but the other component is your money. At the end of the day, if you move your money from one place to the next, people will feel it. Yeah. So we have... African-American community has a buying power of like $1.4 trillion. Imagine if we move that money. So me, so dream catchers, that's what I call my, um, so Beyonce has a beehive. I've got dream catchers, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so dream catchers, that's where I was like, you know, we need to get in formation. Imagine of the million dream catchers that they're out there worldwide and more that if everyone, I did a challenge where I taught you how to save a hundred dollars and we all decided to um, deposit that hundred, hundred dollars into a black, um, black owned bank. Right. That's a hundred million dollars in one day. 
Yeah. Yeah, but that's like economic power. Huge. You know, or even forget that. What if we just said we're switching from this bank to this bank? You can literally bankrupt a bank that doesn't treat you right by switching your money from here to here. Yeah. You think you wouldn't listen to that? And so that's one of the things we could do is that you can be young Tiffany in the corner store saying, I'm not going to come back here because my you won't get my money if you don't treat me right. One of the things I do is that I don't partner with people lightly. You will not see, you know, I don't consider myself an influencer. There's nothing wrong with influencing because I know people who make bank, but mm-hmm. I don't consider myself an influencer, um, quite honestly, because I don't partner with many brands because money brands could quite honestly kick rocks. Yeah. I do a lot of diligence before so when someone reaches out to me and sometimes it's not in alignment just because I'm like, I'm not selling sheets or sometimes it's not in alignment because you know, daggone well, you don't treat this community well, but you want me to cake for you out here in these streets, right? Um, I'm not doing it. Although I've left probably millions of dollars, quite honestly, on the table, but I can do that because of the way I built my business. I remember long ago, I decided with the budgetista, how are you going to build this, Tiffany, from the top down, meaning aligning myself with big brands, big media outlets, big banks, and you know, letting them um, push me out there into the audience. And as long as I curry their favor, I'm good. So you could build like that. Or are you going to build from the bottom bottom up, grassroots, earning each and every single woman, you know, having Jenny, Shania, Tamara, Logan, Karen, having all of those women buy into the movement, the live richer movement that is the budgetista. Are you going to do that? And I'm glad that I did that because it took 10 years. But as a result, I can tell people to kick rocks all day, every day. I can tell a bank, which I have, what you going to pay me? $10,000 made that last hour. Oh, you're gonna pay me a hundred thousand dollars? Literally, we 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 made that like yeah. in, in, yeah. Okay, we made that this month. Yeah, I can tell a bank that, and I can say, even better than you trying to offer me money, how about you do good? Yeah, I will do this campaign for you for free if you will do this for my community. Oh, oh, you don't you're not interested in that when they kick rocks, but right. I can do that without fear because yeah. what they're gonna do, they they gonna tell Shania, like, girl. Don't mess with Tiffany because she don't mess with us who's trying to take advantage of you. Like my only job is to do right by my dream catchers. The better I treat my audience of of mostly black women, the better my business is. It is possible Mm. to do good work, to help good people and to make good money. Those things, those three things can can intersect and they ought to. And I think that um, the more businesses that you support that do that, Force these businesses to earn their keep. That's if right. I'm not doing right by you, you ought not to give me my your money. Yeah. I, I want them catchers to think critically. Don't just give me, me me money blindly. Absolutely not. I need to be worthy of being of service to you. That's right. Make these businesses be worthy of being of service to you. If they don't treat you right, they don't speak to you right, they don't show up right, then you take your money elsewhere and see how quickly people change their tune. That's right. Woo! Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. Um, like I said, I, I want to talk to you for about four <laughs> hours. <laughs> um, whew, and I'm also letting everything you just said sink in because I think we know this, but we don't often act on it. And I, and I think we also need to be reminded sometimes. Mm-hmm. We go into autopilot. Well, let me order from this place because they're, you know, they're always there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to I'm not going to name any websites, anything, but I think like there, it's just that age old, you know, saying like there's power in numbers. Oh, you know, it could just be like, you know what, this year I'm actually going to switch over my bank. Yeah. Black bank. You know what? 
I'm going to buy, you know, my skincare product from, from her. From her. You know what? Why don't I look, why don't I take a little bit of time to, you know, to find a, the, 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 the dry cleaners, you know, the, the black owned dry cleaners, you know, just you do that. And then just like with any business that you like, you know, you tell a friend like, oh girl, I love them. They do such a great job with my clothes. And all of a sudden there's this shift. I was reading an article where it said that there's been this huge uptick in people opening up bank accounts at black owned banks. That's awesome. awesome. You know? Vote yeah. with your money. Yeah. Send your money to places that um that are worthy of your dollar. They are in service to you. Make them. They should never forget that. Don't yeah. let people take for granted that you're going to black. The black dollar is taken for granted, right? They don't even advertise to us properly. You know, the assumption is, oh, we don't need to. They're just going to buy anyway. No, make that not true. Like, no, you got to come better than that. I've had folks come into this financial space. And be angry when uh, dream catchers have not uh, patronized them. And I remember telling one woman, but what have you done to earn them? I've taught them a long time ago. Don't don't give your money up to nobody just because. And she was like, well, I just, oh, no, no, because you thought you was going to come in here, you know, do a little one, two, two minutes spiel. And they were just going to give you money. No, sis. Mm-mm. That's not what's happening. You have to earn the right to, to um, you have to earn the right to serve these, uh, to serve folks. And um the more and more we hold the businesses accountable for that, the more that they're, they'll change their tune. I'm telling you, America understands financial um, boycotting more than more than we even remember and know. More than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've come to the end. And um, I got two questions that I ask everyone uh, at the end. And that's, what does the word mean? What does the word unbossed mean to you? And mm-hmm. also tell me about a black woman in your life who's inspired you, um, dead, alive, or even fiction in a book, um, is unbossed. So um unbossed means to me to have agency over your 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 goals, your dreams, your your time. Um it means you have full autonomy of how your life, how you get to show up. You know, unbossed is, is really lifestyle design. And, and I do feel unbossed. You know, no one is the boss of me. No one can decide. No one can take from me. Mm-hmm. You know, I can either decide to receive or not. Um, and a woman that has inspired me, um, I would say, I would say, well, my mom no longer works. I've, I've helped to retire her. But to watch her navigate and to raise, it's not, it's only because I'm grown now that I understand all that she had to do to raise five girls. Yeah. Hair, clothes, homework. I remember, so my mom was a nurse um, before she retired and she worked at the hospital, but I remember she took the night shift on purpose so she could be a stay-at-home mom, like the rest of, because we live in a, a largely um, white neighborhood. So she my could mom. be a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the night day, her sleep pattern is totally jacked up because she wanted to be home because there were moments when at this school being like literally one of a handful of black children that they would try to slip you into a class that would hold you back for the rest of your life if you were in that class. Oh, they would try to sign you up for a thing or try to blame you for something. So my mother was the first one at school, like I, you tried it. Oh, you thought I wasn't home? I stay at home. Yeah. You know? And so I have to say, she is someone, Sylvia Aliche, she always says I don't give her enough credit. But honestly, I really look to her like, I don't know how she was you know, able to go to school. She's one of the first black nurses who graduated Rutgers um, nursing school and um, to come here from another country to raise five girls. We're all college educated. Half of us have our masters. Um, and then for her, after the baby finally graduated, Lisa, she's, she's a baby, um, went back for her masters and graduated as um, 
um, with honors. Um, That's and, excellent. That's yeah, excellent. Just, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I was about to say Sylvia Lute, my mother. Thank you, Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you show her this. Yeah. And she's fly too. Like, what? My mother is fly. I'm like, okay, Sylvia. Yeah. You could call her nothing. Hair, yeah. nails, outfits, always. I love it. I love it. I love it. Tiffany, thank you so much. I have wanted to talk to you and pick your brain for so long thank you um thank you for the work that you do please know that like we we're rooting for you you know so please keep going and please keep that academy all that content coming because we are soaking it up um but thank you thank you thank you thank you no thank you for having me we're all about the money today y'all as promised Here's our bonus boss segment with venture capitalist and entrepreneur, Rochelle Parham, sponsored by Pinesol. Thanks everyone for hanging around for this bonus brief career segment. I'm currently here with the beautiful, lovely Rochelle Parham, who is a managing director at a venture capital firm. How you doing, Rochelle? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. I'm so happy and excited to get into this conversation with you. Um, So let's just get straight to it. Um, For those who don't know who you are and all of the amazing work that you're doing, let's start at the beginning. Um, What do you do for a living and why is your role so crucial? Yeah, so so most people know me as a career marketer. I was chief marketing officer of eBay and I've had this long career as a marketer, but now I'm in venture capital. So I'm a managing director at a venture capital firm called West River Group. And what is actually interesting about what we're doing, and you know, it really plays into kind of the thesis of what you care about, is each one of our funds is co-led by a man and a woman. Okay. So we're really turning diversity on its head and thinking about allocating capital in different ways by different types of people. That's so important, especially just, um, um, I find, I like diversity in terms of gender. So I love that they're treated very equally. Um, So when was the moment that you knew that you just had to be in this space and in this industry? So it's so funny. So I I always wanted to be a marketer. So in high school, I knew that you know, what I saw on TV and what I saw in magazines, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't quite know that that was marketing, yeah. but, um, but I knew that that's what I wanted. And so when I went to school, uh, to Drexel University, I was a, a marketing major and I knew I wanted to also do something in fashion. And so I did all of my co-ops in the fashion industry, working for Valentino in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the, the majority of my career has really been in marketing. And um, with the last big role in marketing as CMO of eBay, which was a phenomenal experience. And, you know, I was a part of that iconic turnaround. But mm-hmm. when I left eBay, I knew I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do something different. And I wanted to have a different kind of impact. And what mm-hmm. was yeah. When did you when did you leave eBay in particular? I left in 2015, in the beginning okay. of 2015. And you know, I was frankly just trying to figure it out. I was, you know, on my path, but it was a time in my path where I was stopping and really taking mm-hmm. stock of the things that I really cared about and what I wanted for the next part of my journey. And I sort of landed in venture capital because um, I knew that I wanted to help companies and help CEOs. 
And being a part of kind of that equation and being able to allocate capital became so important to me. And so mm-hmm. I started at one uh, private equity firm uh, called Camden Partners and really kind of learned everything there. And um, thanks to the kind of tremendous leadership there and, and people who really just cared about helping me. And then I most recently joined West River Group. So I've been at West River since October of 2019. Oh, and wow. it's just a different experience. It's very, I get to help with marketing. I get to help our CEOs and CMOs and, and executive management teams of our companies and our portfolio. But, um, but I'm not a marketer anymore. Yeah. I'm all about investing. That's amazing. Especially because like... I think it's great that you are able to kind of use your previous experience, you know, as just the groundwork for something bigger that you didn't even initially, it sounds like, think about getting into. It it really wasn't in my original thesis. I thought that I would do marketing for the majority of my career. You know, I was was interested in doing, um, being a CEO, and I looked at a bunch of CEO opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, landing into venture capital has been really fun and interesting. And um, and for me, you know, I just think it's important that you have to keep learning and you know, getting better and getting smarter. And it was a way for me to really learn another kind of and tap into another skill. Yeah. And to trust the process. I yeah. mean, <laughs> so it sounds like um, earlier I heard you mention that um, I think you're at Camden still, that um, you got some help along the way. Um, can we dig into any mentorship experiences that you've had in the past? Or, um, I mean, we talk a lot about just the importance of having people, whether it's a sponsorship or a mentorship on your career path. Yeah. And um, I do think whether you're giving mentorship or you're receiving it is definitely an important like aspect of your career. Yeah. So, so, so I talk a lot about mentorship and sponsorship when I give talks and, and you know, this better than anyone mentors speak with you, sponsors speak about you. And for the majority of my career, I had sponsors. I had people who advocated for me, who saw my work, saw my work ethic and helped me to to move forward in my career. And I was blessed with that because Mm -hmm. often women don't have sponsors. Often women have lots of mentors. I really didn't get mentors until later in my career. Wow. And and, what I ended up doing in 2007 was I formalized my personal board of directors. And so I've had this personal board of directors since 2007. I have a chairman of my personal board of directors and they helped me decide to go to Visa. They helped me decide to go to eBay. They helped me decide on my public boards that I'm on and they actually helped me decide to leave eBay. And so they've been instrumental in all of the key decisions from a professional standpoint for me since then. And one of the things that I think is also important is we also have to switch up our personal board of directors. So, you know, just like on a corporate board, depending on the long term strategy of the business, that's how you determine who you're going to need on that board. And you have to think about your career the same way. So I've been blessed with incredible board members who my mom always jokes and she says, you know, they, they just pick up the phone when you call them, no matter what time. I'm like, yeah, that's what they do. Uh, and, uh, and I'm just blessed. And, and now I'm paying it forward. I'm on the personal board of a few people as well. I love that. I love hearing that. Um, because I don't actually, I actually, I don't hear enough about um, mentorship early in someone's career, to be honest, at least on the corporate side, I do hear about that more 
you know, the higher up that ladder that you go. So I think that's a really, that's a really good observation and interesting detail. Um, so we talk a lot about leaving a legacy. And I think often that term is applied to entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, as someone who's climbed the ranks of uh, the corporate ladder very successfully, uh, what does legacy mean to you? And is it possible to leave a lasting legacy within an existing organization? So um, so I'm glad you're asking this question because I don't know that I've ever really talked about this. But when I got to eBay, uh, you know, so I was joining as an executive, a part of this team to turn the business around. And my first week I was I was talking to other executives. I just wanted to meet the other executives, spend time with them, understand what their priorities were. And in one of these meetings, one of the executives, a woman, sat down in front of me, looked me in my face, and she said, so our last CMO was here for seven weeks. How long are you going to be here? And okay, I realized <laughs> that that's that CMO's legacy. Their legacy wow. is seven weeks. And from that moment on, I realized the importance of building your legacy every day. Wow. So you have to put points on the board. You have to have key accomplishments that people will remember. And, uh, and so that's what I do. I focus on making sure that I am making an impact. So at eBay, it was, you know, being a part of that turnaround team. It was rebranding eBay. It was optimizing all of our marketing channels. It was leading our women's network. And for Come on. I love it. I love it. You know, I have now, I want to say four of my direct reports who are now CMOs at other companies. And so like, so that's the kind of stuff that ends up mattering. And so you do have to think about what's the impact that you're going to make on a business. And, um, and, and that's your legacy. Yeah. So I think it's possible to leave a, a, like a lasting impression on a company that you may not even be with. And um, I love that you said a lasting impression on the business, because, of course, that's important. But it sounds like you're leaving a lasting impression on people and they're taking that to other businesses. And it's just, you know, it's an amazing cycle with a lot of a lot of different legs. I'm here for it. I'm inspired. I'm inspired. Because, <laughs> you know, it's because businesses, it's people. It's it's the it is environment. You know, like it's I'm going to add to that. So there's a, one of the guys on my uh, that was on my team at eBay. His name is Robert. He's a CMO. And every once in a while, he'll text me and he'll be like, so, Rochelle, I did blah, 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 blah. And I channeled you the whole time. This makes me so proud because, you know, I am I care about the people who are on my team and I care about being able to help them and make an impact. And I want them to be successful. And so it just makes me so proud to see um, these members of my team doing such great work outside of you know the world that we were in together and i'm just it just warms my heart to know that i was uh, a part of their life for a time i love that um let's let's talk a little about a little bit about transitions so if you ask me 2020 is definitely um a season a theme uh for transition um i think we all know that change comes whether we expect it or not. Um, can you kind of give us an example of how you adapted and then thrived d 
during an unexpected change? First of all, I think we all need change. I think it's really easy to become complacent and just kind of get comfortable with your world the way it is. And the challenge with that is oftentimes you have your biggest growth during times of change. And um, and I, I get how comfortable it is to stay where you are, but sometimes you need to shake it up. Mm-hmm. And with change comes an opportunity to learn new skills, to learn new industries, and to create a new platform for yourself. And so, you know, I have had the benefit of having you know pretty significant change in the tail end of my career. You know, so I was at one company, I was at Digitas for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was a great experience. I learned so much. I had great mentors and sponsors there. But frankly, you know, the, my a lot of my rise came later. And mm-hmm. I had to be kind of brave enough to step out there and and be um, mm-hmm. willing to take a new step in my career. And you know, it's paid off. You know, it's scary. Absolutely. But um, but it usually works out. You just have to figure out what's the right way. And often what I tell people is you don't have to know the path. You just have to have, to have an idea of where you're trying to get to. Hmm. So, you know, I, you know, I would ask my teammates, like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a CEO? Do you want to be a COO? Do you want to be a CMO? Like, what do you want to be? Because once we know what you want to be, then we can start to develop that path together. We can figure out the people that you're going to need in your life. So I've been fortunate enough to be able to, you know, particularly in learning and in this new industry for me, to meet new people, to have people to guide me, to have people make introductions for me. Like I have been blessed and privileged to have that, but it's helped me to learn my new industry better and to be part of the equation. And so I believe in transitions and, you know, not even if it happens upon you versus you instigating it, um, often make some good lemonade out of those lemons. That's the key. (laughs) Um, So, Speaking of transitions and 2020 and, you know, things that are new, I know that you have a startup. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So so when I was at Camden Partners, we did a lot of work with one of our portfolio companies and decided to spin out a direct-to-consumer oral care company out of it. And so um, it's incredible. The company's called Shine, shine shine.com. So S-H-Y-N.com. And it's direct-to-consumer oral care. We have one of the best power toothbrushes on the market at a great price. And, um, and we have a black CEO. So you have a, we have a black CEO and a black executive chairman. I'm the executive chairman. Like that's a new skill. I've never started a company and to be able to help the CEO as we kind of figure out what works from a marketing perspective and understanding our customers and just digging into those nuances of the things that they care about and making sure the product is right for them. So it's just yeah. been a lot of fun. And again, a new muscle that I'm actually being able to um, to form. So it's been great. I appreciate you asking. Yeah. And you're also, uh, it's it goes back to that advice you gave earlier about, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. So and doing that at every level of your career, I think that's amazing. Yeah. So congratulations. What advice... Michelle, can you offer ambitious women um, who are trying to climb that corporate ladder right now? And also, can you just 
just briefly kind of dig into maybe one of the hardest lessons that you've learned in your corporate climb? Know your business and what you do better than anyone. Like just be an expert in your craft and just know it inside and out Mm. and make yourself indispensable. However, don't make yourself so indispensable that you get trapped. So you always have to teach the next person coming up. You need someone else to know how to do your job because you need to make room for you to be able to move up. (laughs) It's so easy to get stuck because you're the only one, you're the best, you're the greatest, we rely on you. Like all the things that we hear from companies, you don't have someone that you're training along the way and teaching them how to... Um, to do the job, you're going to get stuck and not move up. Plus, you know, one of the lessons that's been um, something that I've paid a lot of attention to for my career is don't be afraid to learn something new and don't be afraid to ask questions. So, you know, a lot of people feel like if I ask questions, do I look, you know, I don't look so smart or I don't look like I understand. And I actually find that the person who's willing to ask questions in the room um, is seen as inquisitive, creative, innovative, and is able to kind of start to see the world in a different way. And Mm -hmm. so you want to have that healthy curiosity. And it's also crappy to walk in a room and not know what anyone's talking about. And so it's important to like feel comfortable asking the question. The other thing that asking the question can do, sometimes we actually know the answer, but hear someone else's perspective on the question to get someone else's viewpoints is so critical. Mm. We can't go in this world believing that our answer is the only answer. And even if our answer is the best answer, being able to enrich that by hearing other voices in the room is so important. I, I love that. Well, my next question for you is, can I keep you for about 40 more minutes? Because I'd love to keep asking questions. <laughs> you tell me how long we need. We got this. <laughs> so I have two questions that um, I do love to ask all of my guests. Um, of course, the name of the podcast is Unbossed. And I like to ask everyone, simple question, what does the word unbossed mean to you? And also tell me about someone uh, that you know, dead, alive, or even fiction, who's unbossed and inspires you. So I think unbossed is the story behind the story. And it's so important to know the origin story, to know where people came from, how they got to where they are, who influenced them along the way. Like those are the questions I like to ask, because when you understand someone's history, it gives you more clarity into how they've made the decisions that they're making and and also how they're thinking about their future. And so um, that's how I see Unbossed is the story behind the story. (laughs) And as for people who've influenced me, you know, my mom has been an incredible influence for me. She was, you know, an executive when I was growing up and I got to see her in action. I got to see her, she worked in, she's a cemeterian. So I got to see her do what she does for people in one of the hardest times in their life when they're burying a loved one. 
And she's always brings such love and such humor to everything she does. And so she's probably the first person. The second person I'd say is um, a woman, Sandra Sims Williams. And I don't give her enough credit for all that she's done for me. So I met her in an elevator in 1994 when I was starting at Bronner Slossberg Humphrey, which became Digitas. She looked at me and she said, who are you? And I said, you know, my name is Rochelle. I just, and she said, uh, do you know anyone in Boston? And I said, no, I just moved here last week. And she said, well, now you know me. (laughs) And, you know, she has been one of the inaugural members of my personal board of directors. She is with me all the time. You know, she's dedicated her life to people. She led diversity and inclusion at Publicis. She now leads that at Nielsen. And she just cares about women and in particular women of color. And uh, and so she's been just a tremendous force for me and so wonderful for me. That's amazing. And uh, just the elevator encounter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rochelle, thank you so much for your time, uh, for your wisdom. And, you know, I hope to keep hearing updates from you about all the amazing things that you have going on. And um, yeah, please, please do stay in touch. Well, I look forward to having another conversation. This was a lot of fun. Special thanks to our guests, Tiffany the Budgetista Alice and Rochelle Parham. Be sure to listen, download, or subscribe to more episodes of Unbossed. You can find Unbossed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple listeners, please be sure to leave me a review and let me know what you think. Be kind, but be critical. That's okay, too. Don't forget to hit me up on social at Marquita underscore Harris underscore. Be sure to use the hashtag UnbossPodcast. I appreciate you. Thanks, guys.